Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your motorsports insider with the Indianapolis Star, here for a mid-season wrap-up edition of IndyCar Weekly. As always, I'm joined here with uh, Jack Harvey, full-time driver of the Meyer Shank Racing number 60 Honda. Um, here off of uh, 10th race of the season, we get now a four-week break before we have the season's next race. A nice little time for some vacation. Uh, a little bit of testing here and there that teams will get underway with probably in a couple weeks. And if you're an English soccer fan like Jack Harvey is, uh, a nice dose of UEFA Championship on Sunday. Jack, how you doing? I'm uh, doing good, mate. How are you? Pretty good. Um, we will get first question. Uh, I know we want to dive into mid Ohio and talk a little bit about kind of how this first 10 races of the season have gone. But uh, I know you were trying to balance soccer fandom and uh, <laughs> your IndyCar job on Saturday during qualifying. Um, and we had a, another thriller of a game for England uh, earlier this week. Tell us a little bit about where uh, the UEFA uh, championship is at with England uh, getting a big win here a couple of days ago. It's been a good tournament so far for, uh, for England. They have, uh, oh yeah, so mid-Ohio on Saturday, uh, they beat Ukraine 4-0, which, I mean, in truth, you, you would definitely expect them to win that game. Uh, I thought they played really well, certainly better than our qualifying effort. Uh, so that was about the best thing that happened to us on Saturday. And then uh, we're recording Thursday. Uh, yesterday on Wednesday, uh, they beat Denmark. And it's the first time that England have been to a final of a major um, tournament since they won the World Cup in 1966. So for a lot of us, this is our first time with England actually being able to win, uh, win a major tournament. So it's... It's a little hard to describe what that is. I know, I know, soccer is is popular in America, but you know, it's probably not one of the top three uh, big sports. And you know, for a lot of people in the UK, like soccer is their number one. You know, so mm -hmm. the 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 pride of the nation, let's call it, uh, is 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 at a ten right now. <laughs> you know, we probably need to bring it back down just a little because uh, the euphoria at the moment is definitely catching up with me. I mean. If, if, if anyone's been around me when I've been watching a game, I know I'm a, I know I'm a hooligan. I know I make a lot of noise, but it's just because uh, we're very proud. So we're hoping that on Sunday at 3 p.m. we can beat Italy. And I would, I would hope optimistically that uh, if there's any IndyCar fans out there, anybody, any Hoosiers out there that are looking for someone to root for, we would, we would appreciate the extra support. That's true. I mean, 
I can't think of uh, any Italian drivers in the series. We don't have any Italian teams, so I don't know why anyone would uh, necessarily be on that side of things. We also have the Copa America championship on Saturday with uh, Argentina and Brazil. Um, my wife's Colombian team lost a, a real nail biter to Argentina earlier this week in penalty kicks. Uh, would have been cool to see, uh, them get to face off against Brazil, Colombia and Brazil two countries with, a, quite a lot of IndyCar representation, but not quite as much on the, uh, UEFA side of things be an exciting match to get to watch on Sunday and, as we mentioned, uh, no IndyCar conflicts this Sunday, this weekend, or for quite some time. We're now in a four-week break. This weekend was supposed to be the uh, Toronto street race, uh, which we have not now run since 2019. It got canceled about a month ago due to continuing uh, COVID regulations and just the difficulty that it would have been to try and pull that race off with quarantines and, you know, I, I mean, everything just crossing into crossing over international borders for a series right now, um, I think still just doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. Not sure fans would have been able to attend that race. So it becomes a, uh, a bit of a bummer in that sense for a promoter. Uh, and I think when IndyCar came to it, they just decided that uh, didn't make sense to, to try and jump through all those hoops. And you of course have to construct an entire uh, course from scratch uh, with a, a street race. So it just didn't make sense this year. I have heard Roger Penske say uh, that even though this race hasn't been won, hasn't been run two years in a row now, that it is not necessarily in jeopardy of not coming back for any reason, uh, which is good to hear. So hopefully we get a chance to go back to Toronto in 2022, but it means that what was supposed to be a three week break is now a four week break. Uh, because NBC has the Olympics coming up here in just a couple weeks, and that pretty much dominates their airwaves. Uh, so we give them uh, seat a little bit of time to them and then hit things roaring with three straight race weekends in August with Nashville. Uh, the, uh, what is it, the Big Machine Spiked Coolers Grand Prix, I think is the official name for it, uh, that triple header with, uh, the Cup Series Xfinity and IndyCar on the IMS road course, and then, of course, uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway. Uh, so exciting to get back to uh, those that back-to-back-to-back weeks, but we um, will first talk a little bit about what happened this weekend at Mid-Ohio. It was uh, another down-to-the-wire battle with uh, involving a Penske car, and this time they – we're able to pull it out. Joseph Newgarden starts on pole for the third consecutive race and gets not only his, but team Penske's first win of the year, beating Marcus Erickson by just under a second, uh, a race that had it been a couple laps longer. Uh, I think we would have gotten a really, truly exciting battle more so than it already was and potentially a chance for uh, a last lap race winning pass. Um, have you had a chance to watch the race over Jack uh, and get to just kind of dive in to see what you saw and thought of um, the, the end of that race? Yeah, I did. Uh, I think it would have been exciting. Um, I think Joseph is 
such a pro. I mean, I, I kind of feel like it would have needed to have been like an extra, you know, five or 10 laps, you know, to have seen, uh, you know, maneuver happen there to take a win uh, from him in that moment, especially with how close they've been recently. Um, you kind of just got the sense that that was going to be their day, you know, especially when you watch the, the broadcast back. I mean, Marcus was absolutely flying, you know, at the end and uh, kind of unintentionally was around them at the end of the race myself. Uh, you know, we ended mm-hmm. up unlapping ourselves on uh, on merit and on pace, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, our final pit stop, we came out behind Marcus, and I managed to get behind, you know, get back ahead of him, get back ahead of uh, Joseph, which, you know, I think we, we definitely left mid-Ohio um, pretty satisfied with the speed that we've had there. Uh, terrible race result for us. But, um, you know, I think with, what happened in Road America for Joseph, I don't think there was many people who were, uh, you know, everyone was just happy to see him win, you know, and, and you know, although we obviously would love to have won the race, there does seem something fitting, you know, with a series that isn't dominated by American drivers anymore uh, to win on 4th of July. Um, I thought that was really neat. Um, and I think they've been, he's been doing such a good job. He, you know, he and everybody, you know, Team Penske, um, you know, three pole positions in a row. It honestly looks like he could have had three wins in a row as well, frankly. Um, you know, and I think for anybody at the minute to go and compete for wins is a is a, a tough a tough task and a tall order. And you know, they're they're definitely living up to how good we know they are as a team. So down to the rest of us in these last six races, try and take the fight to them the best we can. Um, but I mean, it was a really, really great finish, I think. And um, I also saw the TV numbers from Mid Ohio, and certainly it feels like IndyCar has a, a huge amount of momentum right now. So just a lot of really positive, good things happening. So it's just a, it's a, it's a great time to be part of the series. You're right on those TV ratings. Uh, I think if memory serves me right, 1.303 million viewers average across the race broadcast. It was. Uh, a record for NBC outside of uh, Indy 500 races, which is awesome to see. I think you don't really ever quite know when you're running on a big holiday like that, um, how your race is going to draw. It probably helps that they were in, uh, that you guys started right after noon. Um, So, you know, even if folks are doing something, you know, maybe they're still around the house for the start of the afternoon before you go, you know, go out on a boat or go to catch some fireworks or go out to a bar or a restaurant or just go over to hang out with some friends. Um, I think it probably certainly helps that they were on that. I think NBC did a really good job of really hyping up this um, July 4th doubleheader that they had of sorts with IndyCar leading right into the NASCAR race at Road America, which was really cool. Um, so I think it all, it was just a, a good confluence of events that led to um, just really the continuation of momentum. I think that we have seen with this series over the last couple of weeks, I know um, it was a little bit of a disappointing start to the season with the rating at Barber, but there were some extenuating circumstances there with, I think competing right up against the NASCAR cup race when it was on Fox, but you've seen good numbers from the 500. You've seen good numbers Um, It was a good bounce back with St. Pete. I think they were over 1.2 that second week of the season. Um, Pretty solid numbers uh, 
for the Detroit weekend, a great number at road America that, um, was I think like the third best cable number for IndyCar in NBC's history. And then we lead into this break. I know lots of folks that have said that they're, you know, bummed that the series has to go on this four week break because you're partnered with uh, the, the broadcast network that also has the Olympics. But I think when you see this type of momentum and keep in mind, when you have the Olympics, you know, NBC, I think is probably going to be pushing this, Nashville race pretty hard. So I, I would not be surprised to see some IndyCar promos here once we get toward the end of the Olympics. And that's a major, major uh, audience for those. So I think in the grand scheme of things, yeah, you don't want to lose the momentum that it seems like IndyCar had been on. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I think in some ways it allows the series to pick back up and just go on a, a big tear for the end of the year and you get some good cross promotion in the process. So all in all, um, not too bad. And, and only something in the grand scheme of things you only have to deal with for uh, one out of every four years. Um, so yes, definitely interesting uh, part of that. I know a, a cool part of Joseph winning this weekend was that it was the anniversary of uh team penske's first ever win in indycar it came on july 3rd uh at pocono back in 1971 did you get a chance to see the photos of the the trophy that team penske put together and and presented to roger this weekend Uh, i did i thought that was very cool uh it kind of in them moments mate you kind of you know from only having been here for you know seven years and obviously i've only been racing since early 2000s you just forget how much that guy has achieved you know and how long he's been in the sport and it's so awesome to see the longevity that he has been able to create you know for for himself and everybody at team penske um it's very clear to see why he sets the bar you know the standard and the you know what we hope is a template to be successful for a long long period of time in uh in motorsports and that's what I mean. I think Joseph winning, Team Penske winning, you know, this weekend, um, it just seemed really fitting somehow. And obviously we wanted to try and, you know, be the ones to do it every weekend, of course. Um, there's definitely a, a a lot of good synergies and feel-good factors and stories with uh, the outcome of, uh, for Joseph and Team Penske from the outcome of that weekend. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think back to a time where team Penske wasn't just an absolute dominant force, but I I mean, just going back through the record books, I mean, they, they made their debut, uh, in 1968 with Mark Donahue, um, and three years later had won their first race. Uh, actually won two races in a row. Uh, Donahue won that race at Pocono and, and went and won, uh, a race at Michigan Speedway, the following race that 71 season. And then they went and won their first of 18 Indy 500s uh, back in 1972. So it was, there was a time when they were the, the young team on the block, just kind of cutting their teeth and, uh, and took off fairly quickly. I think it shows, you know, their, their start um, in the series just kind of shows the the promise that of any young team, whether it's, you know, your guys is like Meyer Shank racing or some others that are um, either starting to really pick up some momentum or have the prospects of doing so down the year. So kind of a good, good story and a, a good way to maybe kind of cap this 
uh, first part of the season on a high note. There had been so much talk about, uh, I mean, Joseph even mentioned it, how many times he'd had to answer the question of what's wrong with Team Penske, even though uh, they had you know, gone right down to the wire in essentially four races in a row. Um, yes, they only won one of them, but it was really just kind of some fluky things that kept them out of uh, the top spot on the podium really in those three races before mid Ohio. So good storyline to end the weekend on. Um, you mentioned your race. It was tracking to be an, another really awesome qualifying performance uh, in round one uh, before I know we saw uh, the 60 car spin out on that final lap in qualifying. And I know that had to really, impacted a lot of, of what you guys were then able to do at mid Ohio on Sunday. It's just such, we always hear it's such a hard track to get a whole lot of passes on. Um, take me, take us through a little bit of, of what led to that issue in qualifying and how much really you felt like that had a, an impact on Sunday. Well, I think it had a massive impact on Sunday. Um, you know, mid Ohio for sure is a fact that's incredibly difficult to overtake at. Uh, the team and I, just had, we just had a miscommunication uh, in the middle of uh, Q1, basically, is they told me that the, the cutoff time was a, a point three, uh, and at that stage, I'd only done a point four. So when, when, the, when that's the message that you get, in my mind, we were, we were out, you know, that we weren't going to make, trans, uh, you know, progression into the, at least the fast, uh, the top 12. Uh, so I kept, I kept pushing. Uh, I had no idea that we were P2 because honestly, I, I thought we were like, you know, P7 or, you know, or worse, uh, you know, obviously pushing hard to try and get to what I was told the cutoff time uh, was going to be and um, got a little free into turn nine and just kept my foot in it, kept it pinned and you know, ultimately uh, spun, which was a real shame. And then, you know, when they towed me back in to the pit, they handed me my, uh, you know, my tablet, and my iPad and, uh, I saw that I was P2 and I was like, guys, why, why is it saying I'm P2? And they're like, well, you know, we, you know, we basically told you the wrong information or, you know, what we thought was going to happen changed. And, um, you know, it was just a little bit of a miscommunication there, mate, really, which was really disappointing. Um, obviously goes out saying it's, it's never great to, to spin, but, um, you know, I, I felt like, well, I, I thought at the time that we just, we were out of the position to transfer and, you know, I, I just, I just kept pushing. So, you know, chance the team after, I think they recognized as well. It would, there's some information they could have shared with me, which uh, would have probably prevented that. Um, you know, and certainly I felt like we had pace to be in the Firestone fast six. So it was, uh, you know, kind of looking at some on Saturday, it was, a, you know, <sighs> Blame across the board, you know. I, it's probably the best way to say. It. I don't think any one person was was at fault. It's just, um, you know, we didn't. I didn't get the information that I needed. Uh, it changed, and obviously it shouldn't spin. So uh, yeah, I think that was a as a team effort. It was a uh, you know pretty disappointing day where we clearly had pace. You know, practice one we were quick, practice two we were quick, and um, the only time we I think we had the fastest lap in the actual race as well. I mean, so the only time it, uh, we weren't very quick, well, actually, we still even were, but we uh, couldn't get it done was in quality, and that was probably the most important part of that weekend. So it was, uh, as you can imagine, mightily disappointing, and then that put us into a completely different strategy, which I actually think 
you know, had a few things gone a little differently in that race would have played out pretty well. Um, you know, at least would have helped us get promoted a few more spots. But uh, like I said to the team, if you rewind to Road America and we're running P6 and we roll the dice, you know, that was probably a, a tougher pill to swallow this weekend after where we qualified and, you know, my mistake, the team's mistake. I was like, guys, just, just whatever is the highest risk for the most reward, then we're pretty much might as well just roll the dice at this point. And, you know, for that, we're in agreement. The guys did a really good job in pit lane. You know, on Sunday, I think I drove really well. And I think we look at the weekend and we go, man, we ticked every box minus one. And right now, the one that we didn't tick, uh, you know, really punished us this weekend or last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned you guys, you know, tried uh, a little bit of an off, off-kilter strategy to try to see uh, you know, a, a bit of a roll of the dice if things might go the right way. You guys took a, a three stopper in this race, race, which I was, I was surprised how, for how many times we heard drivers, these drivers that I had talked to um, and drivers, you know, whether it was publicly on zooms or in bullpens or press conferences, I felt like we heard a lot going into the week that it could be a, a two or three stop race. And it seemed like, just about everyone up front um, made two and it seemed like it wasn't even much of a, a fuel save um, type two stops. You guys went with three. Um, yeah. What would have needed to go right? Do you feel like for that to, for you guys to really be able to, to take advantage of that? Honestly, mate, we just needed to get in a bit more clear track, you know, and obviously you can't always predict where that's going to, going to be, um, you know, lost a, a little bit of time to, cars we were much quicker than um you know as we were coming up to lap them and whatnot uh i mean yeah i think the the reality was we i think two stopping was the right way to go because i don't think it really required any savings at all you know let alone minimal savings i don't think it really required hardly any um you know so at that point i think we were just relying purely on on our speed and um you know, I think the pit stop time loss at Mid-Ohio is around 22-ish uh, seconds, maybe. Um, you know, so you've also got to gain that time back and some to try and progress yourself. And I think, you know, throughout the race, we were very fast. I think we had a ton of a ton of speed, as I mentioned. We had the, the fastest lap of the race. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think we know that, or we knew that three-stopping for sure wasn't the optimal strategy. Uh, but, you know, when you're starting back there, you know, in, in, in truth, the difference between, you know, two stopping and finishing, you know, 13th or 14th, which is where I think we probably would have been, um, you know, and finishing where we did really doesn't make that big a difference. Um, you know, if as a team, we, we come to do significantly better than that. And, you know, that when you're going to finish where we were projecting either way, you might as well risk it at that point. So I think it was uh, even before the weekend, as soon as we got into it and we were looking at the early side of uh, the pit stops and stuff like that and the strategy, it seemed pretty clear that it was going to be a two-stopper. It's just, you know, we didn't have many cards left to play, so we rolled the dice, of which I can completely live with. And, you know, I think the team can too. Just how it goes sometimes. Um, We'll work hard to try and led to it, which really was just a little bit of communication in uh, qualifying and, Trying to do better next year. How close were you guys? I, I 
had been meaning to go back and watch some of the replays of the two early accidents in the first three laps. How close were you guys to getting caught up in either one of those? Oh, very. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, the first one, the crash happened, you know, enough in front of us that there was a bit of an accordion effect. So by the time we got there, a lot of people had, uh, you know, caught up and boxed up, uh, you know, things like that. And then the second one, there was so much smoke, you know, I had no idea, you know, where the car was. Um, and luckily, my spotter was uh, in that corner and he just said, you know, stay, uh, stay way left. And, uh, you know, I got through it you know, just fine. So obviously grateful to, uh, to him for helping me through that. Um, it's, I mean, man, it's so tough this year, you know, like everybody's just trying to go out and get as much of the starts, get as much on restarts as possible, just because of, you know, how difficult uh, is once the race gets started to, to overtake and especially at mid Ohio. So I think on a race like that, you, you more often than not, you definitely see the starts get a bit feisty. The restarts are feisty because that's where you're going to make hay. Um, you know, I think we carried on a pretty good trend that we've had this year. I mean, we were we started 23rd and ended the first couple of laps in 17th, which was, uh, you know, a nice step in the right direction. I think we were like plus six at the start, so that was good. But um, man, I mean, it was uh, it was it was definitely a little lively. I saw that I saw that Will had um, you know got out of the car holding what looked like his wrist, so you know, hoping that everything's good there for him. I haven't seen any news on that, but uh, you know, I. Obviously, hope that he's in, uh, you know, the best health possible to uh, be there for national. Yeah, for those that uh, that missed it, we had the it was a I think the what the first or second turn uh, after the green flag on lap one, um, just a little bit of a, a slowdown accordion effect through the, the mid pack of the of the field and. James Hinchcliffe got uh, just part of his front wing into Ryan Hunter Ray just up in front of him and they both got turned around. Uh, and then unfortunately that also led to, um, I think it was Romain Grosjean maybe uh, getting into the back of Felix Rosenquist. He turned also, you see had three cars uh, within like 10 seconds of the green flag turned around. Uh, that second one came right on the, off the restart, uh, I think of the race there where Scott Dixon and Will Power were battling pretty good. And, uh, Scott left Will probably about the absolute minimum amount of room that you could leave. And Will, I think got his left wheel off the curb maybe and got spun around. And then in doing so dust, uh, brought up a, a ton of dust, uh, into the air and you guys were going just uh, down a little bit of a, a downhill slope coming out of whatever turn that was. I don't remember off the top of my turn head. Five. That's, there you go. Yeah. Turn five. Um, and I could tell, I mean, I was just from watching on TV, almost surprised that Ed Jones was the only car that got caught up in that because I mean, spotters are, are super helpful, but I mean, man, when you've got, as tight of a track as it is there going downhill, you guys going full throttle off of a, a restart, almost maybe lucky that, uh, that there were only two cars that ended up involved there and that will didn't take any more of a, a beating right to the, the side of his car. Uh, then, then he did, he did come out holding his wrist. And I think he came out of the infield care center with, I believe it was his right wrist uh, wrapped. Um, certainly hope that, 
as you mentioned, that's something that doesn't linger on. I imagine it's probably not. Um, and of course, if it any is anything that's even moderately serious, he's got four weeks now to, to give it some rest. So hopefully that turns out all right there. Um, yeah, I what? actually I didn't super get a good angle of what happened between you know he and Scott. I think it, it must really depend on the vantage point that that you had because everyone I saw everyone say that Scott you know really squeezed him, um, and I would say I've seen people squeeze each other harder. You know, just like one of them things where hard to hard to lay anybody at fault for that one. I know some people feel strongly about it, but. Um, I don't know, man. It wasn't when I watched it back, you know, it didn't seem like super clear cut, like, oh, this is exactly what happened. I mean, I, I think the view, the view of it, I think was uh, will definitely leave some interpretation there. Definitely. And I think, I mean, I think our, a lot of times for us watching it on TV, like the, the first inclination uh, watching it live when you see two cars battling side by side and see one of them spin, especially when it's the guy on the inside, I think it's, um, understandable. And honestly, a lot of it, the, the initial reaction can kind of be colored by how the, the guys in the NBC booth, uh, portray it, whether it's, you know, whether they feel like it's Scott or Will, cause we don't always get an instant replay, but I, I, I definitely agree after watching it back. And I think it was all, also really telling to how Will reacted uh, getting out of the car. We all know that uh, Will Power is not one to mince his words and to uh, <laughs> hold, back, hold back anything if he feels like he's been wronged or frustrated. And you could tell he was, I mean, he was certainly bummed, but I definitely, I mean, he said himself, he didn't feel like Scott necessarily did anything wrong. He felt like he was, racing him hard, but, uh, he did also mention that I think Will was on black tires to start the race and Scott was on reds. Uh, and so had Will known that he might've known that Scott certainly had the, the better, faster car at that time and might've just kind of let him drive off knowing that that was going to happen eventually. Uh, and okay. that he'd have a chance to get him back at some point down the road. So, uh, again, yeah, I think it was just a, a racing incident. It was a, some good, some good hard racing. And when you're running right there on the edge of the track, sometime uh, something like that happens, but certainly nothing, uh, no ill will between those guys by any stretch of the imagination. So I, I uh, feel like just, you know, from the outside in as well, that you know, they've raced with each other. I mean, how many years? Yeah. I mean, know, Will's, I like Will's been in the series since like 2009. I think obviously Scott's been in way longer than that. You know, and I, okay, so I mean, at least what ten plus years? Mm-hmm. You know, these guys have been racing together, and how many times have you seen either of them really, you know, get into it with each other? I mean, I I can't think of one at the moment. You know, so uh, it's just obviously it's a shame when you see cars running up front, and obviously you know what that happens. Um, you know, tough tough day to be on the receiving end of it for sure. But uh, I think Will's Will's reply, I think, was telling. You know, that perhaps nobody was super at fault. It was just one of them things. Again, I think because overtaking so hard right now and the opportunity is there, you, you know, you do your best not to get overtaken. You're doing your best to try and overtake, the, you know, the driver. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, now we're through 10 races. One thing I wrote a, a story about um, earlier today to touch on 
Nashville for a second. We have uh, at least 27 cars that will be in this race. It's the most, uh, the, the deepest grid for a non Indy 500 race since 2013. Um, and there were, I think a, a couple races that year that had 27 cars outside the 500 and, um, the, the release from the big machine music city grand prix folks said that there might be 28 or more, uh, which caught me by surprise a little bit only because I had done a decent amount of reporting on this at mid Ohio, uh, trying to set this up. We had already heard that, uh, Rick Ware and Dale coin were playing to enter Cody Ware in 52. Um, we had also heard that, uh, your teammate, of course, Elio would be in the number of six with Meyer shank racing to start his five race run over the final six of the year. And, um, Bobby Ray hall had told me that they would be entering the number 45 for a driver yet to be named for Nashville. But I've then been told that Brian Reinbolt, uh, top gun and Peretta auto sport were all not going to be able to enter cars. I'm not sure where that 28th car might come from. Uh, we'll be interesting to see if that does pan out, but man, that's a, a really deep packed field, uh, for, for a street race, especially something the likes that we haven't seen in, in quite some time. I know from talking to some folks, if the series continues to grow, um, especially if it's, you know, a, a regular thing that maybe even some of these street courses might start to run out of, uh, pit lane space, which will be a, a problem for another day. But what is, I mean, when you picture, I know none of us have, uh, seen this Nashville course or run on it yet, but when you just kind of think of a street course race and you start putting that many cars in the field, what do you envision that, uh, being like, particularly if it becomes something that's more regular from the series moving forward? Uh, <laughs> Well, I think the obviously the, the more cars in the series is always is going to be great. I think it shows how healthy IndyCar racing is right now. Uh, you know what a fantastic product they have created. Um, you know, in IndyCar re- racing really right now has to be one of the best motorsports to watch. Um, evidently, because you're seeing more and more cars try and make the. Uh, make the races and I think that is is a fantastic thing from a driving stance obviously some of these tracks are you know pretty short pretty narrow you know and trying to fill more and more cars every time uh, especially on a street circuit it seems like testing time could get you know whittled away if, you know we have a lot of yellows or you know red flags or you know anything like that so the more cars you have there obviously the higher risk all them things are but I think the the other side of it, if if we were going there, like man, we don't really have that many cars, etc. That's a that's a worse issue. So this is these are all good issues to have. For example, I don't know if you could have actually fit any more cars in pit lane at Mid Ohio. Wow. You know, or you know, luckily, you know, Toronto. Not luckily. I love Toronto. I love being there. We were really gutted. Um, you know, that race isn't happening. But I mean, if you look at the pit lane there as well, even, I don't know where you keep putting all these extra cars. And I think, uh, you know, space in pit lane may eventually dictate how many cars you can have at certain races, uh, which seems somehow something I hadn't really considered actually until I saw um, your article this morning or this afternoon 
when it went out saying there was going to be even more cars. And I thought, wow, I don't, I don't, where would you put the extra car at mid Ohio? Because I don't remember who was the very first box at mid Ohio, but I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tight corner then to stop on the marks and get in. So definitely a problem for another day. I think the initial reaction is just, it, it really shows the health of the series right now. And it's, uh, and it's great. I think if I remember right, it was Santino maybe because they were not it, – because it doesn't – do pit lane assignments, if I remember right, does that go off of qualifying from the previous race? Yes. Is that correct? Okay, so they weren't at Road America, so it would have made sense that they would have then been the car that uh, was at the, the end of pit lane. That was 26 cars. That was the most that we had had. Uh, since I think it was last year's GMR Grand Prix, and um, and but um, but before that we hadn't hit 26 in in quite some time, and obviously uh, you have to go back to 2013 to hit 27. There were some years there from 2011 to 20, I think it was 2011 and 2012, where the series uh, had more full-time, uh, you know, maybe an entry or two more full-time than it does now, but it was also, I think a little bit more popular to have a car run, you know, maybe six, seven, eight races of a, a 16 to 18 race schedule for whatever reason. Uh, and so you saw, you'd see a lot of cars kind of hop in and out, uh, of the results for some of those biggest races. Uh, I think there were the, the biggest mark that I spotted over the last decade outside of the 500 was uh, 30 cars for a double header at Texas Motor Speedway. I think that might have been in 2011, if memory serves me right. So, I mean, that's wild to think of um, putting 30 cars on that oval. Um, certainly couldn't do that today and, and imagine probably having very good racing uh given kind of how that track races now, but certainly back then, I think it was uh, better, more, more entertaining. At least cars were able to run a little bit tighter. So it will be interesting certainly to see how that pans out. Um, there'll be probably a lot more to talk about once we get to, to Nashville, as far as what that the course is going to look like. I know it's got the, the water crossing over the Korean war Memorial bridge. That will be cool to talk about in a little bit more depth, but maybe let's take a look at, where this series stands uh, at, I guess it's a little bit past the halfway mark, but we're, we're 10 races into what's now going to be a 16 race schedule. You've got Alex Pillow still out front um, driver that man is, uh, as, as more and more folks try to, to call Scott and now even potentially Joseph, I've heard some folks feel like those two drivers could be the, the favorites in this, uh, title fight Alex does does not go away he's right there uh, in the thick of things Scott an incredible let's see uh, I've got the results in front of me once he's got five podiums over the last th- six races the only one that he didn't um, finish on the podium was when he had to take his sixth place grid penalty for Detroit race one uh, which put him in last in 25th and still was able to gather 10 spots and finish in 15th um, he leads Pato Ward now by 39 points after Pato made up, I think it was 12 spots in the race, starting 20th and going up to eighth. Um, Scott, I think, dropped three points from Alex to go from 56 back to 59 back. And Joseph 
carves away 19 of his 88 point deficit to get within 69 uh, to make it really a, I think a much more conceivable thought that we could have a, a four car battle now for this championship. If Joseph comes out of this break and continues to perform at the level that he has been, at least in, in qualifying and through three fourths of the race that we've seen thus far. And, and also don't want to leave out Marcus Erickson who jumped up. I don't know. It was at least two spots uh, in the standings to, with his second place uh, that he grabbed has been a, a driver that, has really started to pick things up a little bit after his victory that he took in Detroit in race one. He's only had um, one finish outside the top 12 this year and uh, certainly now sits his, uh, with his, his best chance at a, a top five finish in the series standing since he joined the series in 2019. When you look at kind of how things shake out through this, you know, what top 10, top 12 or so uh, in the standing so far this year. Is there anyone that particularly sticks out to you? Uh, maybe even let's leave out Alex um, leading the championship because I think it's, he's probably kind of obvious, but beyond Alex, is there any one driver uh, around there that, that surprises you or you feel like has had a, a really standout performance through these first 10 races? I would say he, he doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised how many other people are surprised mm. that Marcus is doing so well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm surprised that other people are surprised. That's probably the most surprising thing because, you know, it, since he's been here, he's been incredibly quick. Um, I think this is probably the the first time where, you know, things have fallen more in favor for him opposed to, to against him. And he's done a great job, you know, so I'm really happy for, for him to be, you know, currently P5, obviously still, you know, decent amount of races, uh, you know, yet to go. But um, yeah, I would, I'm not surprised at all, but I would say that his is the probably, just from what I read online and, you know, see on social media, it seems like most people would say Marcus is the most surprising. I think for anyone who knows him doesn't think that, but that's that was my take. That's what I interpreted from other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good one. Um, I'd say, I mean, maybe to, to branch out, uh, I mean, if, if Renus had not had his um, bike accident leaving Detroit and, and missed race, I mean, he's eighth in the point standings, but he's uh, what, like 15 points out of sixth and, and only another 10 points away down from some, from Marcus. So if you, you know, consider that, you know, maybe he continues his trend of, you know, top 10 performances or so, maybe he picks up, uh, you know, maybe he's sitting in fifth or sixth instead of eighth. He's been, um, strong, certainly much more consistent. Um, I think than he had been in his rookie year. And I think that's just the sign of, of growth that you would certainly hope from a young driver like him, but you never really know, uh, you know, if a driver going into year two is going to be able to make that jump and he certainly will be, looks like he has been, although, um, has been a, a tough couple races, uh, for him after he finished second at Detroit 18th and race two and now 16th at, at mid Ohio, I would say another driver, um, who I know has, you know, he's, he sits 13th in the points, but what Scott McLaughlin has done, uh, switching over from, touring cars and, and V8 supercars 
basically all his life, uh, you know, racing just once last year with just one test under his belt. I, I know he's with Team Penske, and you certainly get a lot in that. But to be able to come over, I think particularly in qualifying, the fact that he has been up fairly high um, in, in qualifying probably more often than not. I think he's made the fast 12 a handful of times. In fact, he's got a second place. He's got a couple eighth place finishes uh, to go with it, particularly strong. I think uh, that weekend at Texas was kind of a coming out party of sorts. And he's been up and down at times, you know, a couple of finishes right around. Um, I think Detroit was a tough weekend for him and a, a road circuit or a street circuit like that's probably going to be a little bit tough for someone like him to get used to. I mean, we saw Jimmy Johnson. That was probably his, his toughest weekend, at least to, to pick things up from, from start, but made a, some good improvement, but Scott sitting 13th, you know, everything I've heard from team Penske has been, you know, if he can be somewhere in the top 12 or the top 10 in points by the time the season is over with, I think they would consider it uh, a really solid rookie performance from his standpoint. And I think that's certainly, Absolutely. certainly within the cards. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a really realistic uh, goal. And I'm, I mean, some might've even argued given how incredibly deep uh, and competitive this series is. I mean, you look at the people below him. I mean, I know you've had some, some tough weekends and could certainly be uh, a lot higher than, than 14th Sebastian Bourdais 15th. Uh, you've got Ryan Hunter Ray, James Hinchcliffe, um, both behind him as well. Uh, with so much experience between the two of them, you probably could have easily argued that they might've been a, a half step ahead of Scott at minimum going into this year. So to sit 13th, I think is um, really strong performance from I think, Scott. Go I ahead. think he's an awesome mate. I think, I think he really has, I think, especially how he took to the ovals, I think it's probably one of the most impressive things that he's done. Uh, obviously his race in Texas was phenomenal. Um yeah, I love his attitude. <clears throat> you know, I love talking to him. I love that what he brings to the table um, because he hasn't done open wheel racing what since I don't exactly know the last time, but I mean, he's been very much on a you know stock car, touring car, sports car kind of path. You know, mm -hmm. and to watch him come over and achieve what he has has been has been mega. Um, you know, and I think people should definitely not underestimate how difficult, firstly, how difficult IndyCar is in general. Uh, you know, the depth of the field, the, you know, the parity, uh, you know, across all the teams is, is probably the highest it's ever been, uh, which is great. But also just the drivers and the talent level in the series right now. And, you know, to see where he is in points um, is, again, one of them things where I think you, no one doubts how incredibly good a race car driver he is. I think it's it's impressive, given really how little testing IndyCar has now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and his lack of open wheel experience, especially in what is, you know, pretty high downforce uh, car. You know, I, I think he's done a brilliant job, you know, and, uh, you know, he's fun to talk to. He's, he's got a great, great character, great personality. Um, you know, I, I for sure think he'll be someone next year, you know, who... Uh, who naturally will just take a step, you know, as soon as everything's not the first time he's doing it, you know, you see what he can achieve when he, you know, dominated in 
you know, Australian supercars. And uh, he was probably the next person on my list who, again, it's, it's difficult to say. I'm not surprised because I know how good he is, but he's also backing it up in a really strong way. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good way to put it. I mean, he's, if you throw out, you know, the, the 500 where, you know, that, that team Penske team, for whatever reason, struggled a little bit to find speed and a double header weekend with such little on track time to get ready um, ahead of those Detroit races where he finished 19th and 20th respectively. And I think he, Oh, he even spun within the first five laps. So he only got, I think like five laps of practice. I mean, that's really tough. Uh, given those circumstances to really expect much more out well, of a doubleheader weekend like that too. I agree, but also, you know, given benefit of doubt on this, I remember talking to Scott Dixon after Road America when he had his issues in practice, and it's mm-hmm. hard even if you've been to the track, you know, before and you're, you're a series champion to miss practice time and then exactly. just jump in the car and do the job in qualifying. I mean, you know, it, it definitely sucks, and when you're a rookie, you probably feel the pinch of it a little stronger, but I mean, it, it goes back to the point of just how hard IndyCar is right now and how difficult it would be just to jump in, you know, and have an amazing day if you've had some issues. Um, you know, I think seeing how, I know Scott ended up having a great race in Road America and did recover, but, uh, you know, I think he said that a lot of, you know, maybe why quality wasn't great was because he didn't get his, his practicing time in. So, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to throw, Scott, are you bone with that? I'm just trying to make that observation that it is incredibly difficult if you lose any practice time for whatever reason. Yep. You know, you're totally right. I mean, I think we've seen that across the board. You guys only get, um, I think it's about an hour and a half or so on average of practice time. And I, I don't remember exactly what it was like, say, five years ago in this series, but I imagine uh, if you jumped back in a, in a time machine and told some guys that they'd get, uh, you know, an hour and a half of practice pretty much before every single race. Uh, I, I would be interested to see yeah. what the looks on some of those drivers faces, uh, to hear that. I mean, and it's, it's, it's working. Okay. I mean, we've continued to hear, um, and I think you've even said as much that certainly we would love to have more, more practice. I think at IndyCar's at the moment, just kind of trying to find that right balance between uh, cutting some costs for folks, making it so, you know, when that first practice is on Friday late in the day that, uh, you know, teams can maybe for some venues save, a, you know, a night in a hotel for all the folks, which isn't isn't a small expense by any stretch of the imagination. But um, we'll, we'll be very interesting to see once we get into next year that's hopefully even going to be a, a more normal year than this one already has to see if that does, uh, does does stick around. Um, because I think, uh, we've heard it almost uniformly. I mean, I think some, even some team owners, uh, and granted, I haven't talked to all of them, but I think even some team owners wish that we had more practice. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how IndyCard balances what they maybe think is what is in team's best interests versus what, uh, what actually may be the case. And there's some teams in, in various um, circumstances where maybe it does benefit them one, uh, some more than the others, kind of like on the, the doubleheader topic that I know was a little bit contentious last year where there were some teams that really were big fans of it because they could kind of help out their 
partners and get through the year versus some that, that really didn't like it. We haven't seen it nearly as much this year as the last. So um, we'll certainly be interesting to see if that, that plays out over the years. I know it's uh, over these last couple of years, probably even harder because we've had this, this new or new ish car with the air screen and you're going to some tracks where um, that can can make a fairly big difference and you guys don't get a a whole lot of time to test and don't have quite as much to lean back on from setups, uh, to go off of when it comes to that. Alrighty. Well, um, I think we will go ahead and wrap things up here. It'll probably be the last episode here for a couple weeks. Um, as we both go on a a little bit of a break, I know Jack's going to get some time away from the racetrack and I'll be taking a little bit of a vacation here in a couple of weeks as well, but we will hit the ground running back when we get uh, headed toward Nashville, which I know is uh, a really sounds like just a really awesome uh, event. Got, you know, headlining concerts Friday, Saturday and Sunday night. Um, I think uh, the Sunday of the race, the folks hope to be able to host you know, somewhere around, you know, 60, 70,000 people, potentially. They even added a new grandstand uh, earlier this week for folks to be able to buy reserved seats for, because uh, they were either running really low or had completely run out of those already. Um, so I would, I would say to those of you who are listening, who are interested in going to Nashville, if you hadn't, haven't bought your tickets yet, I would certainly get on that uh, very soon. I can tell you from someone who's uh, was looking at buying a hotel here fairly recently that hotels are quite pricey and they will probably only get more so. Um, so get on that if you are looking, uh, hoping to do that. And we will have lots and lots of racing, uh, three or two back to back to back weekends to finish off the season, one in August, one in September, uh, to cap off this exciting 2021 year. Uh, thanks for, of course, joining us again this week, Jack. Of course, mate. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, Go and cheer on England this weekend in the UEFA Championships. And thanks, of course, as always, to you guys for listening to this edition of IndyCar Weekly. It's coming home.